live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. Out top Baker, almost stolen by Rocco. Now to Williams. Williams out top right side. They get it down low to Coleman. Coleman going to shoot over Justin Webster. And no, No. they call basket interference, and there was no basket interference there at all. The officials... The official was 40 feet from the basket, and Kevin Kruger is justifiably angry. There is no way Vic touched the ball there. Bad call. This is the press box. Call at the foul line. Hall comes down the left side. Just get. They call a, a travel. Keyshawn Hall got absolutely pushed down right there. I mean, he just got pushed down, and they call a travel. Davidson took two hands and pushed him. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is an absolute farce. It's the bad hair guy job on that guy over there in the corner through that, that whistle. <laughs> I mean, that was an absolute two-handed push. With Graney and Bischoff. And Lucas. Lucas absolutely tackled with his back Luis Rodriguez. That should be an absolute foul call right in front of the Rebel bench and the officials completely ignore it. Just absolutely ignore it. The ball went off the Rebels. But Lucas threw his body into the legs of Luis Rodriguez. What a complete joke. On ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. It's a Monday. Ed, Tyler, Jared's back in the, the quarterback position. Is that what we call that spot? Yeah, he's, he's leading the show. He's, <laughs> if without him, there is no show. Welcome back, Jared. Hope you're feeling better, buddy. Yeah, we'll find out. Yeah, that's always good to hear. That's good to hear. We'll get uh, more into UNLV basketball. Big win for Kevin Kruger. Can't can't lose the Reno Kevin Kruger. Apparently not. If he could play them 32 times a year, they'd be the number one team in the country. You can't lose to them. Good good win for him. It was a big sports weekend, so let's go. Jonathan Quick's here. The first bite. Did Kelly McCrimmon's trade deadline win the Golden Knights a game? Barbershev. Two goals. Two goals for Barbershev. Teddy Bluger had an assist. Yeah, had an assist. And Jonathan Quick got a win. Yeah. It's basically the trade deadline. Yeah. Big big job by Kelly McCrimmon. Good job, Kelly. Was Jonathan Quick good? I was there. I thought he was good. I thought he was good in the first two periods. Um, but then I looked at his – I didn't think his numbers were that low. That you have down here. Well, the problem I mean, is he was good in the first two periods. He, he faced five shots in the first, in the first period. period. Yeah, Sixteen over two periods. <laughs> like Montreal is uh, bottom Bad. five in the league in basically all offensive uh, categories at five on five. They that that is not a team that is going to score a lot of goals. And there was a moment where I thought Jonathan Quick was going to get a shutout. I mean, they're oh, yeah. going into the third yeah. period. I was like, yeah. Montreal's going to have like seven shots in this yeah. period, and Quick's going to get a 20-save shutout and maybe not make but one or two good saves the entire night. And then they, you know, kind of tried to blow uh, a multi-goal lead there. Here's the thing with Quick. If you go by his numbers from that game, his save percentage was 8 9 two, uh, which is actually better than what he had in L.A. this season. He allowed three goals. Montreal's expected goals was 2.2. Uh, so that's a little bit worse than average. Gave up the two goals in 35 seconds in the third period that uh, you know turned a 4-1 game into a 4-3 game, made it a little bit tight there. I don't know that you look at that and truly like say, oh, Jonathan Quick really blew 
whatever. It was his fault, whatever. But they certainly didn't win the game because of Jonathan Quick. They won that game maybe not in spite of, but they won that game by not yeah, I don't think relying on. Of. They didn't they didn't rely on their goaltender right. to win them a game. It wasn't like Aiden Hill's last performance where Against Aiden New Hill Jersey. stole the game, basically. And I think the actual big stat I took away, final four minutes of that game, Montreal down a goal, only had one shot on goal. And it came with like twenty five seconds. Twenty five seconds left. And he made the save. Yeah, he did. He made the save. And to me, that was the bigger stat, and it is Montreal, who's not very good, very bad offensively, so take it for what it's worth, but we talked about it a couple weeks ago, right? This team blew multiple games in a row. They had a one-goal lead late, and they blew it. They even did it against a bad team in Chicago. Mm-hmm. They didn't blow that mm-hmm. one. One-goal lead, final four minutes, and they shut it down. They, yeah. they basically decided it does not matter who's in goal. We're just not going to give up a shot. Right. And if they can do that against good teams, obviously you have to have the lead, but if they can do that against good teams, the entire conversation about who's the goalie, who should be starting, becomes a little less relevant because if they can shut down that well, if you only have to save one in the final four minutes, any of these guys can probably do that. Yeah, I didn't think all three were on him. No, not at all. I didn't think all three were on him. The one uh, Cotter kind of loses a guy, walks in. um, The one... The one wrist shot, uh, I forget the guy's name, was on him. Uh, but then the last one, um, close in, and Bruce Cassidy talked about this afterwards. He didn't name Petrangelo specifically, but I think it was Petrangelo. Standing who did, there. He was just standing there <laughs> and didn't get a stick on the guy and, and, and let the guy score. So I thought I thought he played well. I thought I was more, I guess I was more impressed than going in you thought he, you would be because of how poorly he's played in L.A. Can they... One game sample size. Can they win the Stanley Cup if Jonathan Quick plays like that or whoever the goalie is? But if Jonathan Quick's the goalie in the postseason, can they win the Stanley Cup with that? I just came in to say no because of who you'd have to play in the Stanley yeah. Cup and it wouldn't be Montreal. Right, right. This just in, it's not going to be Montreal. <laughs> no, I don't think so. And if things go well for the Golden Knights, injury-related and performance-wise, Jonathan Quick's probably not the starting goalie in the postseason, but... There is a real chance that he is, depending on Logan Thompson's health and how these last 20 or so games go, performance-wise, from the other goalies. Um, the other trade yeah. deadline acquisition, or one of the other trade deadline acquisitions, Ivan Barbashev, two, two goals. goals. Uh, the first one, terrific pass from Jack Eichel. Yes. Barbashev was... Also, Montreal forgot about Barbashev because yeah. he was just standing at the back post with nobody around him. Right. Great pass for Michael, and Barbashev just had to Tap put a stick on it, yep. and it was going to be a goal. The second one, Nick Hay took a shot, and it was just a rebound that redirected off of Barbashev. It was just, hey, your body's in the right place, and it bounces in. But that first line with Barbashev, Eichel, and Marchezo, they combined to have a 67% expected goals rate in that game. Um, it was Montreal. We've established they're bad. Should we assume it's, uh, it was just Montreal and that's why they performed so well? Or, hey, Ivan Barbashev, just skate to the front of the net and you're going to rack up some well, goals and points. And that, again, that's what Cassidy said afterwards. That would, That's what they expect from him. That's how he scores. He gets to the front of the net and either gets rebounds or gets, you know, takes passes from others. So he scored the way he's supposed to score. So if he continues to do that, then I think that line could be really, really good. I'm curious to see how often... They're able to get him the puck when he skates to the front of that. Because his very first game in Vegas, his very first shift 
when they got in the offensive zone for the first time, he skated directly to the goalie. Mm-hmm. And that like that was very clear. Oh, that's my job. That's I just I skate to the goalie. Now, in that game, the Golden Knights did not have any set-up offensive zone time. There was no chance to throw a pass to him right in front of the net. He just but he skated there anyways. And that's what I'm curious to see is okay, you've got the guy that Cassidy wants to drive the net. You've got the guy that can camp out on the back post if Montreal forgets about him. You got the guy that can get to that area of the ice. Can Eichel and Marcheseau find him on a consistent basis? Can you get that Jack Eichel pass once a game, right? And obviously, Barbershev will probably be a little bit more covered on a regular basis, but can you get that type of play? He's not going to score it. It's not going to result in a goal every single time, but can you get that Eichel pass to Barbershev at the back post once a game, right? And can he be there for a rebound opportunity once a game? And if you score one of those every three games, then... It's a great addition, and that'll yeah. be extremely helpful in the postseason. So, I'm the game. It, it, the game being against Montreal gives me a little bit of pause in terms of how good the performance actually was from Barbashev. But that's exactly what you want to see, and that's exactly what he supposedly does. Right. So, if that can happen against some better teams, they're going on this five game road trip. If they if they can do that a couple of times on this road trip, you come back and you say, all right. Barbashev makes sense there. Maybe they go on this road trip and they are losing some games or they're struggling and Barbashev's not really getting any opportunities. And by the time they're back, he's not on the first line anymore. I think that's a possibility too. The Cassidy changes it up. But so far after Montreal looked uh, pretty good. Yeah. Um, Also, Teddy Bluger had an assist. Yeah, he did. Uh, And I actually, am I wrong to say his pass to Theodore was better than Barbashev's two goals? Oh, I don't know. A guy scoring two goals is probably better. But he was just pass. kind of there and yeah. just had to put a body part or a stick yeah. on the puck. It wasn't like, oh, incredible skill from Barbashev. Teddy Bluger got a rebound, and it reminded me of a kickout three in basketball where you get an offensive rebound and pass it out. You don't really do that in hockey very much. If you get a rebound, you're you're just trying to, you're trying to get it to the net. You're trying to whack it in. Correct. You're just trying exactly. to jam the thing into Correct. the net. He got a rebound and was like, I'm going to kick it out. And Theodore took a shot from not quite the point, but he scored. And I was like, "Eh, you don't see that very often in hockey. And I thought it was a little bit more impressive than Barbashev, who was just there. Finished. I mean, the puck finished off of him is what happened. It's not like he had some great shot. It's just, yeah. What did did this morning? What did the second goal even hit on Ivan Barbashev? I couldn't even tell from the replay. Could have gone off his knee for all I know. He scored twice. I'm going to see his barbership. <laughs> I'm a big barbership guy this morning. <laughs> Two of the four. Oh, Yvonne Barbashev. What a game for Yvonne Barbashev. That was great game. All right, let me ask you this, too, because the Kings played over the weekend as well. Jonas Corposalo made his debut. He saved 24 of 26 shots for the Kings. And Mike Kelly gave what's one of the most incredible stats. That was the first time in a month that the LA Kings had a goalie post a positive goal saved above expected in a month, which means for a month, the LA Kings had every single game with below average goaltending. And they still won games. And they're still second in the Pacific Division. Will we look back at the trade deadline and specifically the goaltending acquisitions as a deciding factor in the Pacific. I'm not sure because I don't think Quick's going to be the guy. Right. And so, so, and what I mean by that is, end of the year, 
Do the LA Kings pass the Golden Knights because they traded for a good goalie? I wish you could tell me what Laurent Brassois will be like when he gets back and what Logan Thompson will be like when he gets back. Hippa, Ed. Can't talk. I love Hippa. Oh, Can't talk about Hippa. Hippa. Hippos. <laughs> Jared is a green. I, look, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if Brassois comes back and plays really well, we can look back and say the Knights won the division because of their goaltending. I just don't think it's going to be quick. So if you're saying the two trades and who got the best of the two trades – then I think the Kings got the best of the two Oh, trades. they There's absolutely no did. And I wonder if it'll be enough for them to catch Vegas and put them on top because they're two points back today. I think they've played one more game, but they're two points back today. The The Pacific right now Are is... two points back, so they won yesterday? Yeah, yeah, they did. So it's it's Vegas is two points ahead of LA. LA is two points ahead of Seattle. Seattle is two points ahead of Edmonton. So everybody's basically within a game Jumped of the team up. above yeah. them. Uh, so it... It wouldn't take a lot for the Kings to pass. If the Golden Knights go on this road trip, what is it, a five-game road trip? Yes, five games. If they go on this road trip and go, go three and two, if they go, they can go worse than that. If they go two, three and zero, oh, two, two and one, if LA's got a good week or two, LA's going to be in first place yeah. in the division. And I do wonder if we look back how much it is goaltending because that was the Kings' biggest weakness. They're bottom five in the league in safe percentage this year, and they're in a, playoff, in a playoff spot. spot. That's insane. Like. The other teams that are bottom five are the worst teams in the league. Or like, like the Knights also, though. They're good defensively. Right. Or like, it's just incredible that they're that good. And if they just have competent goaltending, I think they've got a real shot to pass Vegas based on how well they've played despite that. All right. Coming up next here on ESPN Las Vegas, UNLV knocked off Nevada. Is no good. Rebound bounces and is taken by Reno in the corner. Oh, they my God. call a jump ball. Luis Ryan, or Shane Noel had stolen the basketball. Shane had stolen the ball, and they call a jump ball. That is awful. Shane had the ball, took it away from Blackshear, and then at the last second, they call a jump ball. What a terrible call. What an absolute farce. Shane had clearly taken the ball away from Blackshear, and they bail him out by calling a jump ball. Reno will have the ball with 5.9 seconds to go, and the Rebels up by two. I mean... I mean, Shane had control of the basketball. You're on the elevator up to the press box with Graney and Bischoff. I actually thought it was a good call. I actually want to see that call more in basketball. If you're unaware, UNLV late in overtime, Shane Noel got a rebound and they had the lead with five seconds left. And so the other team has to foul. But Keenan Blackshire came over and tried to grab the basketball, didn't actually try to foul him. And the ref gave him a jump ball. I actually think it should be called more. If you as an offense, if you have the ball and you just want to stand there and hold it and wait for them to foul you and the other team puts their hands on the basketball, I think there should be more jump balls in that scenario and not the immediate foul call from the ref. So I like the call. I was at the Vipers game. Oh, what a game for you. Uh, All right, good. I'm going to run through what I think is the most. The Vipers? No, no, no. Forget about them. What I think is the most improbable win of the season for UNLV and one of, if not the most improbable win since I've been here. So. All of the circumstances ahead of this game and the events of this game, it's kind of insane. 
UNLV's on the road to play Nevada, a place no one has won Who's undefeated at this home. season. Um, Nevada is on the NCAA tournament bubble. bubble. They're playing for, I mean, this is literally, they need wins to get into the tournament. Right. Meanwhile, the only thing UNLV was playing for, a win and they were the seventh seed, a loss and they were the ninth seed. Right. Basically nothing. UNLV also came into this game without Eli Parquet, a starter who's still injured. And then in the game, Keyshawn Gilbert gets ejected for a headbutt. So they're now down another starter. And then for some reason, Kevin Kruger decides to play walk-on Cam Burrist in the first half of this game. There was only one run in Rebel that was in any kind of foul trouble. It was Shane Noel, and he only had two. But he played Burrist over normal rotation scholarship players and had Cam Burrist guard Nevada's second-leading scorer, Keenan Blackshear. In that four minutes in the first half, UNLV outscored Nevada 10-2 to with a walk-on play. He ended up playing 11 minutes of the game. Second half wasn't quite as good for Burris, but the first half, great. UNLV took a 13-0 lead to start the game, blew it. UNLV had a 10-point lead at halftime, blew it, right? Then, final minute, they're losing, and EJ Harkless, the only guy to do anything offensively for UNLV, fouls out of the game. game. While UNLV's losing, no worries. Nevada misses a couple of free throws. There's a Nevada turnover as well that leads to a fast break. And Luis Rodriguez makes a layup to tie the game and ultimately send it to overtime. And then in overtime, here's UNLV's lineup. Jackie Johnson, Justin Webster, Shane Noel, Luis Rodriguez, and David Mawaka. If you go by minutes per game, that was their second, fourth, seventh, ninth, and tenth most used players of the season. And they're down their two best offensive creators in Keyshawn Gilbert and EJ Harkless. And what happens in overtime? Jackie Johnson, the guy who has the second worst offensive rating on the team, extremely inefficient, scores nine points in overtime and assists on another basket. They scored 13 points in overtime. Jackie Johnson was involved on 11 of those 13. The only one he wasn't was the intentional foul free throws that UNLV got late in the game. Everything about that win was absurd. I still can't believe they won that game, given all of those factors that played into it. But they did. Incredible. But they did. An absolutely incredible win. The only disappointment is the game didn't mean anything for UNLV. Like, if if they were on the tournament bubble and they pulled off that win. Again, it meant something for us. Yeah, they, they play at two thirty instead of noon. They play if they keep winning. They play at nine, and you know that thing won't start at no, no. 9:30. They play. They don't play the nine game. They play the seven game. Are you sure? Yeah, ninety percent certain. Now that you may, you're making me question it, but yeah, the three seed. Because if they win, they play the two seed Boise. It's the three seed that plays the nine thirty game. Right, I'm, I'm happier. Yes. So if if they beat Air Force, <laughs> they play Boise State, and it should be the seven no, no, o'clock no. game. I'm saying if they win the Boise game. Oh, they're they're, they're not like, doing that. You're worried about this team playing in the semis yes, of the Mountain yes. West tournament? They're they're, the, they're the, probably the, going to lose to Air Force. No, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen. No, they beat Air Force and Boise. They're in that nine, which you and I both know never starts at nine. Oh, that's fine. If they if they're in a semifinal, that that it'll be on a Friday. That's fine. I don't have to wake up early the next day. And they're not going to the semis, okay? That's the. That, you don't know that. They haven't been to the semis in like 10 years. EJ could go crazy. <laughs> and Jackie Johnson lose. is back. Jackie Johnson is back. Yes. Okay. So let me ask you about Jackie Johnson. He came to UNLV as a transfer 
as a uh, a scorer, right? That's he was supposed to be a guy that shoots a lot. Was supposed to be a scorer. I had pretty high expectations, largely because I thought. This team doesn't have many good offensive players. Jackie Johnson's one of the few guys that has good offensive numbers. They're probably going to need him. And he was dreadful in non-conference play. Again, he's got the second worst offensive rating on the entire team. Has not been able to shoot. But he stepped up in that moment and looked like the guy that... Everyone thought he might be. Right. Should he have a significant role on this team in the Mountain West Tournament? I mean, I think you go with him at first just to see if he can continue what he did at Reno, right? Do you start him? You take somebody out of the starting lineup? Who's been there? Who's who's uh, who's it's, been there? It's, well, it's it's, it's, it's uh, Harkless, Gilbert, Webster, Webster. Noel has been over and, Luis Rodriguez, and then Milwaukee. You're obviously not taking out Harkless. Would you take out Webster or Gilbert? Keyshawn I don't know Gilbert if I'd do with that his head one good game. I mean, I would I'd get him in there just to see if he continues yeah. to do what he's doing, but I don't know if I would do that off one game. I would not because despite his heroics, he took two of the worst shots I've ever seen. Oh no. One was the 35-foot three-pointer where they were trying to set up a play and he just said, "I'm going to shoot it." He made it, right? That was one of the biggest shots of overtime. But he was like, oh, okay, I'm, forget about whatever offense you guys are running. I'm just shooting it from here. And then out of a timeout, when they were down two in the final minute, and somehow they came back and won the game despite this, out of a timeout, he gets the ball, and they don't run a play. He just dribbles twice and takes a pull-up 18-foot mid-range jumper. Like the worst shot you could possibly take is like, yeah, I got this, guys. He missed that one. He took two of the worst shots I've ever seen. I would not. To me, he's in the game if we're into some significant foul trouble, injury trouble. Oh, so you're not going to try to get him in there to see if he can no, continue? No, because he, he took horrible shots. Two horrible shots. At, well, he only took like seven in the game. That's like that's like 30% of his shots. Boy, you just won't give these guys credit. I won't. You, you know won't who I will give credit, credit to? Kevin Kruger. It's 4-0 against Nevada. Yeah. Still today, Nevada is in the NCAA tournament, according to most uh, bracketologists. Bracketologists have them in the last four. In. Yeah, bracket matrix, which does the which sixty has brackets. Them in the play in elevens. Right. Can I say they should be eliminated based on that loss to UNLV? <laughs> just because they lost to UNLV. Did you hear all the things I just said? I, their, I heard their overtime lineup was Jackie Johnson, Justin but, Webster, Shane Noel, Luis Rodriguez, and David Milwaukee. Okay, but the committee's not even going to know that. They're just going to look at the score. I mean, they I mean, should. There should be a, no, a bullet point. No, they're not going to look at that. That they're says this is the worst idea. loss of any team they're in the country have this any year. Idea about that, they're I, just going to look at the score and say they lost the game, and whatever that does to their metrics or whatever they do to the feelings of the committee. You know, is going to go one way or the other, but they're not going to say, "Oh my God, it was Jackie Johnson and OT." Should have dropped them completely. Out. They should be eliminated. Even if they win the Mountain West tournament, they should be eliminated. <laughs> they're cutting down nets, and yet they don't. Know they're if not they're allowed. The, they're not getting into the tournament. No, because like the, I think that was a quad two loss for Nevada. It should be a quad five. They should make a new quadrant, and that's a Come quad on. five loss. They Come lost on. to Jackie Johnson launching. Cam Burris, a walk-on, played 11 minutes. And you know what? He played well in the first half. 11 minutes from played a good, walk-on. Played good defensively. They got outscored when UNLV had a walk-on on the floor. Quad five loss. New metric. That's a quad five loss. Boy, it's just you're, 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 you're one-track mind when it comes to this team. You can't knock that. You can't get knocked out of the NCAA tournament by that UNLV team at home. You should be done. Well, supposedly they're not knocked out yet. I know. That's what's wrong with it. They should be. They're going to get in over Utah State. 
Who doesn't have a quad one win? Who cares? <laughs> That's kind of lose, a big deal. They didn't lose to Cam Burris. That's kind of a big deal. They, they beat don't, UNLV by 100. They don't have a quad five loss, They Ed. don't, Ed. <laughs> they don't have my quad five loss on their resume. All right, coming up next, Ben Goats joins the show. All right, you know, I'm a goalie, so stop the puck, try to win. Just what did kind of happen there in the third period when they made their little push? Hey, they're a good team. They got some skilled players, and uh, yeah, they uh, they created some opportunities. And, you know, they capitalized on a few of them. So, uh, you know, we knew it wasn't going to be easy. Uh, we got to fight for uh, the full 60, which we did, and you know, we found a way. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. Joining us now from the Review Journal is Ben Goats. Uh, ben, was was Jonathan Quick not happy after that game? No, I think he was uh, doing fine. I think from his reputation, is he's not necessarily you know the most talkative guy out in public <laughs> and, and anything. So I don't think he wanted to make a bigger deal of that start than it was. I thought it was really interesting even when he was on ESPN after the trade to the Golden Knights and John Butchergrass tried to get him to bite on, you know, will facing the Kings in April be a really big deal for you? And even then he was like, ah, we got New Jersey tonight. I'm just <laughs> focused on that. He wouldn't even go there, you know, a couple days after they kicked him out of town to Columbus. So I think he's just a guy that purposely, you know, tries to Stick to the cliches, doesn't try to say anything too crazy. He even said on that ESPN interview, you know, I'm not out here to get a soundbite for you guys. So I think he purposely plays it down. And listen, it's not like uh, people were giving him the best questions to work with either. Whatever, loser, uh, I heard they're asking about the third period. What an annoying voice that guy has, am I right? Do you need to start watching film on your own press conferences to get better at asking questions? Start breaking Probably them down. Cry. I really do not like the sound <laughs> of my own voice, and I think I would go crazy very quickly. You'd have to like strap me down like the guy from Clockwork Orange <laughs> to review the tape of myself. Do you think he'll be playing against the Kings in April? It's going to be interesting to see. We obviously don't really know what the timeline are for Laurent Brassois and Logan Thompson, that's still a ways away, but certainly the fact that now the Knights are kicking off this five-game road trip, you'd expect that he's going to be on there the entire time, and he's probably going to get two of those games, and so it's really going to come down to how he plays. I think last night he was decent, okay. You obviously don't want to grade him too harshly because it's his first start with the new team. There's all sorts of communication issues, adjusting to kind of how the defense plays in front of him type of things, but Bruce Cassidy has been pretty blunt in terms of it's going to come down to how he plays. If there's an opportunity here in the short term for Jonathan Quick, and if there's an opportunity in the longer term for him, it's going to come down to whether he can perform. Uh, Certainly, obviously, in L.A., both this season, and you can really say in a couple seasons back, he really hasn't done that. He certainly hasn't lived up to the own standards he set for himself early in his career, it's going to be fascinating to see if he's able to get a couple more great starts out of what's been a really impressive run for him. Uh, it's certainly not going to be easy for him to do it on this road trip, given they're going to places like Tampa and Carolina, but I guess we'll just have to see what happens. 
most likely this team is not going to get uh, superstar goaltending in the postseason, regardless of which of the four possibilities are in net. But last night, one goal lead. They gave up one shot on goal in the final four minutes. Is that how they're going to need to win in the postseason when they have a late lead is just basically shut everything down like they did last night? Yes, and I think that's the problem that Bruce Cassidy has been trying to solve for all years. How can we basically take our goaltenders out of the equation with how we play defensively? I think it's the reason we saw this team even lean into defense a little bit at the trade deadline, getting a defensive-minded forward like Teddy Bluger. They want to make life as easy as possible on the goalies and not make the goalies the ultimate reason why this team is going to succeed or fail. Now, whether that ultimately happens, of course, it's going to be very difficult when you get in tight postseason games to not need your goaltender to come up with a key stop or two or three to hang in a game against a really good opponent. But the Knights have been trying really hard to master Bruce Cassidy's defensive zone system to make it so these goaltenders get to play the game on easy mode. Uh, For the most part, I think they've done that this year, especially coming out of the all-star break that game against the New Jersey Devils where Aiden Hill had to stand on his head was really the exception. Uh, But obviously that's probably encouraging for the team as well that when they have an off night, they do at least have some goaltenders back there that are capable of stealing a win for them anyway. But no, certainly I think plan A for this team is lock it down and don't let our goalies ultimately be the one that decides whether we win or lose. Is this the barbershop we can expect? I don't know if he's going to be at five points in four games kind of guy, but I certainly do think he's found his niche right away on this team as kind of the third wheel on that Jack Eichel, Jonathan Marchessault line. Uh, I think you know Bruce Cassidy said it really well only a couple of games into his tenure. Like he's come as advertised. This is the guy that doesn't exactly play, you know, the the fanciest, most highly skilled game, but he gets to the front of the net. He creates havoc in front of the crease. And that gives this team kind of an added dimension on offense that they were really missing. It doesn't mean he's, you know, the greatest player in the world or the greatest trade deadline pickup, but that's kind of an element that this team was really missing even before they lost a guy like William Carrier, who brings a lot of the same things out indefinitely for an injury. So I think as, you know, a kind of role player on that line with a guy like Eichel, I think what Barbershev brings is really useful and really important. I think it's probably not entirely shocking that he's fit in really well on this team in that specific sort of niche, and then it'll be really interesting to see whether he's able to build more chemistry with those guys, too, where he's able to show off a little bit more of his skill along with his net front presence. We obviously saw him make a really good pass to Jack Eichel for a breakaway against Carolina, so I'm curious whether we're going to see a few more plays like that moving forward here, and not just what Really, his goals showed us last night, which is he can get in front of the crease. He can get kind of those dirty, greasy goals that everyone loves come playoff time. And that's something that the Knights really needed, a guy who can do that on five-on-five at offense. It's Florida, Tampa, Carolina, St. Louis, and Philly on a five-game road trip. What's a good record when the Golden Knights come back? I would say probably three and two, right? You just want to come out with you know more than half of those points, you obviously expect to win in Philly. St. Louis has always been a tough place for the Knights to play, but of course, the Blues have really stripped it down at the deadline 
Carolina and Tampa are tough places to play. Florida's not having a very good year, but they're still very talented, and I'm sure they're still really trying to fight to get in at this point of the season. So certainly this does not set up very well for a night sweep. I think that they're going to have a really tough time in some of those buildings. But if they can come out of there, Three and two, I think they're going to exit this road trip still in a pretty good spot in both the conference and division fight to set themselves up really well for the stretch run where it's going to be a lot of Western Conference and division games the rest of the way to see if they can eat this one out. He's Ben Goats from the Review Journal. Ben, uh, as always, we appreciate it, and hopefully you get something good out of Jonathan Quick in the future. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, guys. So there's Ben Goats from the Review Journal. So we're going to get boring Jonathan Quick. Is that what that's what's happening here? Yeah, that's the uh, the talk around the old press box was he's uh, not the most outgoing. <sighs> Trade sort. for a different goalie then. And Give me one that's fun. Sort. He, I guess he was okay the first day he came in, which you'd expect him to be. It's the first time around a new team, new reporters. But last night he kind of morphed into one sentence answers, and you know he didn't. <sighs> He's one of those guys that you're not – just watching last night, I shouldn't say I, – I, I've been around him one time. So, you know, but you can get kind of a feel if they really want to be answering questions, if they really want to be there. Um, and that's – you know, that, he's not the only guy like that. I mean, you know, uh, hockey players are usually pretty good, and the Knights, I think, have a lot of really good guys. But you'll get into some of the dudes who, you know, not, not sure they want to be there answering them. <sighs> Trade for the fun ones. Come on. I labeled the sound. Quick, interesting goalie. <laughs> because his the most interesting sound I could get from him was him going, you know, I'm a goalie. I, I, I make saves. That's the job. <laughs> That's the job. <laughs> Didn't Bruce Cassidy say something last night about you can't be sad after a win because they're too hard to get? Too hard to get in this Was he league. talking about quick? No, he was oh. talking. No, that was, no, that was a different answer. The dude's so depressing no. that they no. can come in after a win and he's just like... No. I don't know. He's talking about like dust in the wind and like how time is a flat circle. And it's like, Jonathan, we just we just won. No, yeah. that was a different answer. Okay. All right. Coming up next year on ESPN Las Vegas, we'll jump into some NFL combine results. Not everybody goes through the, the throwing portion of the combine. Why, why did you ultimately decide you were going to go through with it? Because I got a cannon. I'm going to show it off. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. We've got some big quarterback news involving Derek Carr. Looks like he's going to be a saint. He's will, a saint, that guy. We will get more into that a little bit later in the show because NFL Combine, we got quarterback numbers, quarterback interviews, quarterback uh Weights, heights, and hand, hand size. sizes. Can't Most wait for that. Thing. Uh, so let's start with Bryce Young. Measured at 5'10", 204 pounds. How big of a deal is Bryce Young's lack of size? I thought he weighed more than he should. Oh, you think I, he's fat? No, I thought he weighed more than they thought he would weigh. <laughs> no, he's not fat. Um, is he big? I mean... <laughs> is he big for his height? He's big for his height. That's what That would be the reporting. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's this is what we thought he would be, right? He was going to be five foot ten. Although last week, I thought he was five eight. Five, you thought he's five five. Yeah, so this guy's not tall at all. So we'll see. I don't think it'll be a big enough deal where he won't be picked number one. Right, and that's that's the curious part is how much do you dive into 
height mattering for quarterbacks when you're picking number one, whoever ends up picking number one, because there are some quarterbacks under six foot that have been good. Um, Russell Wilson is one of the more recent examples of a good under six foot. I think Breeze is listed at six foot. Is he listed? I don't think uh, he actually yeah. is. I think he's like six foot an eighth of an inch yeah but i think he when i was looking up like best quarterbacks under Under six six foot foot. he was not listed most of the time kyler murray is the guy that has gotten a lot of comparisons to bryce young for uh similar size anyway and so it's it's possible that you can get a good quarterback that's five foot ten but i don't know that's likely like i I do think if, if an nfl team decided we're not going to draft Bryce Young. Like, we think he's really good quarterback, but we're not going to draft him because his he's size gives us 10. concerns. I don't think I'd blame them for it. I think I'd say that's a perfectly valid uh, concern, a perfectly valid reason to go with Stroud or whoever you end up drafting instead. So that's I'm curious how many teams dive headfirst into the size thing because I, I don't think it's crazy to say, eh, he's a little short. Don't know if we can do that. I don't think a lot are. I think he's going to be the first pick. Now, Anthony Richardson. Kind of an athletic guy. So he set the quarterback record for broad jump and vertical leap. He ran a 4-4-4-40. That's a lot of fours. Um, Am I wrong to be surprised at how many people were like, oh, my God, Anthony Richardson is an athletic freak? No, because don't they do this every year at the Combine? They pick out guys who have these incredible numbers, and all of a sudden their draft stock and most mock drafts, you know, skyrocket because what they've done at the combine in shorts and a t-shirt the reason i the reason i asked the question though is like that's what anthony richardson is we all we all knew this right like maybe he had even better numbers than they thought i guess but like the only reason anthony richardson would be drafted in the first round let alone the top 10 just the first round period is not because of how he played quarterback at Florida. His numbers were terrible. It's because the guy can jump higher and longer than any quarterback maybe ever, and the guy's got a cannon of an arm. And he runs. And he can run faster than just about all the quarterbacks in the league. Like, but we we knew all of that. Right. That this that's not new. Maybe the exact numbers are a little new. But I was just a little surprised. People were like, "Oh my God, Anthony Richardson." I was like, "Well, why'd you think people want to draft him in the first right. round, anyways?" It's because of this. Now, here's the question: Raiders related. Is Anthony Richardson there at seven? After this, I'm not so sure. After this, I'm not so sure. They might, if they have fallen in love with him, and we don't know who they've fallen in love with. I'm sure they have somebody. They might have to move up. They might have to move up to get him after these numbers. I t- they're they're enamored with the combine numbers. I really th- I I totally believe that they're enamored with these kind of athletic numbers. They can and end they up with the they, they can make him into a quarterback. They can end up with the short guy Bryce Young. He's going to fall to seven because he's, he's little. Not falling to seven. He's the little little guy. Uh, now the if most... he was there at seven, would they take him? On right now on March sixth, I think if you told the Raiders Bryce Young falls to seven. I think you have to take him, even if they do something else at the quarterback spot. If the presumed number Garoppolo. one pick falls to seven, I think you have. I, hell, I, who's even picking at six? I, whoever, even if you have a quarterback and that guy falls to like five or six, I think you say, we should probably take this guy, right? It'd be stupid not to. So if he fell to seven, absolutely. Now, the most important part of the combine quarterback hand sizes. Here you go. The four. Presumed first round quarterbacks. Will Levis got a cannon. Ten inch, ten and five eighths of an inch. Anthony Richardson, 
10 and a half inches. CJ Stroud, an even 10 inches. Bryce Young, nine and three fourths. Not great. What was Carr? Carr is nine and one eighth. Okay. Carr is very small. Okay. Uh, Kenny Pickett is the only car- quarterback in the league who is below nine. So here's the part with Bryce Young. Nine and three fourths actually is perfectly fine. I think that's actually the average of an NFL quarterback. His problem is the other quarterbacks in the first round have giant hands. Yeah. Will Levis must have like Kawhi Leonard hands. Yes. Like those are huge. So that's why he's got the cannon and the best arm in the draft. <laughs> best arm. He said his best arm in many, many years. If we're going solely on quarterback hand size to evaluate quarterbacks, Levis and Richardson are going to be superstars. And Bryce Young should Based not be the totally number one. Totally on pick. hand yeah. size. And Bryce Young should not be the number one overall pick. <laughs> I wish Degenerate Danny was here so that we could get some props on like rookie fumbles going because I would definitely go like, all right, so Will Levis is not fumbling a freaking ball. No. <laughs> he could run down the field with one hand holding yes. it up in the air and he's not going to ever fumble. He's going to get sacked by three guys at one time. <laughs> and the and ball will just shoot out, of the yeah. shoot out of the pocket. He just holds it above them. Yes. Just palms it like he's playing kids in basketball. Like you can't reach this. Some other quarterbacks, non-first-round guys. Hendon Hooker, who's from Tennessee. Ten and a half. Pretty big hands yeah. on Hendon Hooker. Uh, Stetson Bennett. Ten-inch hands. And then Max Duggan from TCU. Nine and seven-eighths. So we don't have a quarterback in this draft that is going to get drafted high or has any With name Kenny recognition Pickett. that has very small hands. Which is a little bit disappointing because that's one of my favorite things to talk about is the quarterback who has tiny hands. And people are like, does that matter? And it's like, actually, it kind of does. It's one of the dumbest things that does matter, but it does. (laughs) And it's fun. And we don't get to talk about Kenny Pickett this year and his double jointed eight and seven eighths hand or whatever it was that he had. He's like, ah, don't measure my hands. I'm double jointed. So Will Levis, monster hands, draft him first overall because he will never fumble in his entire NFL career. No fumbles for Will Levis.